You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV. And crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, June 15th, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to have spoilers. Spoiler-filled discussion about Obi-Wan Kenobi, Episode 5. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta. Joining me on this podcast is Slash Film Editor Brett Oman. Hey, that's me. And Slash Film's resident Star Wars expert, Brian Young. It's always a delight to be here to talk to you two gentlemen. <laughs> uh, okay, we have a bunch of feedback this time. I think uh, there's some interesting talk about uh peter from melbourne wrote in uh one thing i have found it, it odd that the show hasn't grappled with is that it appears that leia has grown up in what looks like a pretty sheltered and safe life and then suddenly she's surrounded by murder and death a stormtrooper getting sliced in half by a laser wall lots of shooting and fighting and she doesn't seem to be having any reaction to it at all do you think this has hasn't been thought about or is the force protecting her i i wanted to get your uh, brian i'm sure you have thoughts on this um i mean like we've in some of the books and in intimations about leia's childhood she's definitely had some training around this kind of stuff in the same way um you know padme might have before you know before she's queen but we're also talking about like, yeah, she's not reacting to individual stormtroopers dying or anything, but this is also the woman who had like 
very little reaction to the billions of people of her home planet dying too. She's really good at compartmentalizing that and to believe that that trait is something that she, you know, had since childhood is not a, a, a long walk. Yeah. Um, Alex writes in, uh, he, he mentioned, you know, obviously last week we mentioned the new theories that each episode parallels a film in the Skywalker saga and two, the interview with Ian McDermott about Star, uh, Star Wars Celebration, he discussed seeing Hayden and Ewan training with lightsabers. Do you think it's possible that the Emperor will appear in the sixth episode, sixth and final episode of this, given its probable connections to, you know, if you were going to compare, you know, each of the episodes, this episode would have been Empire Strikes Back and the next one would have been Return of the Jedi. Brad, what do you think? Do you think we're going to see the Emperor? I don't think so, because I'm pretty sure that when he was talking about that, he was likely talking about just like sitting in on a session when uh, Hayden and Ewan were doing their lightsaber training for whether it was, you know, Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith. So, you know, because there's a scene very much so uh, in Revenge of the Sith where McDermott is present for Obi-Wan and uh, Anakin engaging in a lightsaber duel. Um, or at least Anakin anyway, with Count Dooku. So I'm sure he's seen stuff behind the scenes, and I sincerely doubt he's going to appear uh, in episode um, six of Obi-Wan because uh, during that same panel at Celebration, he uh, pretty much like cast a big amount of doubt uh, on an appearance because he said that uh, if you're expecting the Emperor to appear soon in flesh and blood, don't get your hopes up. So, And that was when someone was asked, he was asked specifically about appearing in Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, so some people have thought that there's maybe a little loophole there where like, oh, he could appear by way of a hologram. And that's technically not a flesh and blood <laughs> appearance. But I, I just don't think he's going to pop up at all. Yeah, I think I think drawing on those parallels with the throne room, I think putting Obi-Wan and and Vader in a room with Palpatine would probably unbalance that fight to make it so that it wouldn't really um, put us in a situation where. I, I, I just don't. I, I just think Palpatine <laughs> would change the dynamic of whatever that fight is going to be in a way that I don't think this series is paying attention to. And I think Deborah Chow's really talked about how the core of this series is that story between Obi-Wan and Vader and Palpatine is sort of extra to that. Um, Kelvin from London uh, said you quite rightly this week or week after week, keep bringing up the Kenobi's relationship with Leia in a new hope and pointing out that this in last week's episode, Leia actually heard that his name was Obi-Wan. You brought this up with Brian, who said he'd put some thought into this and that her message actually only says General Kenobi, as I'm sure you have now gotten countless emails telling, and yeah, we've got a few, um, that her message actually starts off with, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. So, Brian... So well, I've been thinking about this. Time. I went back and I actually looked at A New Hope because you sent this to me and I was like, man, I missed that. Um, like, I, that is that is definitely on me that I forgot about the end of the message. I was just thinking about the beginning of the message. Um, and and you're right. She does say that. But I watching A New Hope again since watching these episodes of Kenobi, A... I don't think it breaks anything because I don't think I like, I think we're, I feel like we're overthinking it, but I feel like that help me Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope has a totally different feel to it now where she's that like the beginning is the diplomatic. She's asking for bail Organa, but help me Obi-Wan Kenobi 
you're my only hope now feels like she's rousing him to be the Jedi that she knows him to be, that she saw him to be. Yeah. I think we're overthinking this. I'm wondering if after this series is over, if we go back and watch A New Hope, if it's if that if that whole message is not going to feel like I don't know, like I love how this series is kind of recontextualizing Leia in that. You know, obviously, I mentioned this in last week's episode, how her being part of this path network is uh, probably inspiring her to, you know, be part of the rebellion and the later the resistance and um, her having a connection with Obi-Wan Kenobi makes that so much more meaningful that she named her son Ben. And there's even parts in A New Hope where, like, you know, when when Luke mentions uh, Ben Kenobi and she's like, Ben Kenobi, where is he? Like, like, so there's even parts in the film that hint that she has a greater connection to Ben Kenobi than the, that mess, message at the beginning would lead you to believe. So yeah, I really and, like get like stuck on this as as and, a. Thing. And I think there's something else too, where Bail Organa had to go and and show up in person to that cave on Tatooine. And it changes actually those lines in Rogue One too, where Mon Moth was like, you need to bring in the Jedi. And he's like, I'm sending the only person I trust essentially. And it's like, she's going to go in person for him because he thinks that's going to be a better selling point for Ben Kenobi because it was Leia and the leverage of Leia and who she was and what she represented. That's going to force Kenobi to not say no. A friend of mine uh, named Reza suggested that there's a possible solution that could be used at the end of this. Uh, The Jedi do have the ability to memory rub people. So maybe Ben Kenobi could give Leia the memory rub and not like wipe all the events of this out of her mind, but maybe wipe the fact that like she had met Obi-Wan Kenobi but I'm not sure if I like that or not. Uh, Brad, do you have any thoughts on this as a whole? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I think the mem- if, if like there is some kind of memory manipulation thing that feels like a cheat and one that yeah. raises like an idea of like, well, why haven't any, has anyone done this in other instances where people like maybe need to forget or not know, you know, certain things. Um, so I, I, I don't think that's a good idea. If, I, I think like, Brian's justifications make sense. And at the end of the day, like there have been plenty of missteps that star Wars has made where like they've had to retcon things or things are a little bit weird after the fact that we've learned something. I mean, uh, come on, you know, lay a kissing Luke, like let's, let's be real here. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's one of the weirdest things ever in star Wars. And it was a big thing that they had to fix and kind of just sits there now because of what they decided to do with those characters. So, uh, you know, there's going to be little missteps here and there that don't necessarily, uh, jive perfectly in the overall canon, so I don't think we need a you know a really deep detailed explanation uh, to try and like make this make more sense. Yeah, and the other thing is the way she opens up that message doesn't like say like we've never met or anything. It just felt a little weird. So it's not like it like breaks canon think, in any way. So I think what we're we're rubbing up against is the fact that we feel like. There's there's two things I think people are, are holding. One is that 
um, Yoda telling Obi-Wan there is another and people assumed Obi-Wan didn't know about Leia. So we had this debate after Revenge of the Sith where he watches the twins be born and then Yoda's like, we're taking her to, to Alderaan, you go to Tatooine. So it's like, why wouldn't he know? And we had this debate then and it was like, I think he's referring to Luke as the chosen one. He thinks Luke is the chosen one, not necessarily Leia and Yoda's reminding him of that fact. So we've, we kind of already had that. So it's not like, but, but so we take that and then we apply that to seeing Leia there on Alderaan and going like, yeah, she obviously has no idea. None whatsoever. She doesn't know who Obi-Wan is. She's just been sent to, to find him. And, uh, yeah, like like it's we just assume she didn't know him and now we're being presented with, oh, she did have an interaction with him. Somehow this breaks it. And it's not that it's breaking anything in the canon. It's breaking our perception of it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and I, I think it was it's worthy for us to discuss something like this uh, in as opposed to I've seen a lot of like bad faith criticism of this show. Um, I'm watching I mean, too much YouTube, man. <laughs> I mean, just showing up in my Twitter feed and mm-hmm. not even like people I follow on Twitter, Brian, but like the people like, you know, quote tweeting or taking photos of other people. And I'm just like, I, I don't follow these people for a reason. Why are you bringing them into my yeah. feed? But um, n- not just the racist stuff, but like, you know, people going off on like how this is, you know, doesn't care about canon and the, the Inquisitor is dead and he's alive later on. Guys, you just had to wait. We we all knew they had to wait, and we'll talk about that later. Um, I I don't think this is going to be a memory rub situation. I think it's just going to be a, a situation of us getting more used to this and maybe revisiting a new hope after the show is over and be like, oh yeah, it works, it works. Um, well, well, I mean, I don't think I'm ever going to rewatch Star Wars again after this show. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Nick M writes in. Uh, with an interesting question, which we, we, I'm surprised we didn't bring up. Do you think that Grogu was saved by the path? Um, I mean, anything's possible. Um, but I, I think one of the things in Star Wars so far that strains the most credulity is the idea that Grogu is just like he's been a baby this whole time, where it's like he's been 50 years where he's gone from one nursery to another and like, it's really great that the pirates or whoever were holding him at the beginning of Mandalorian, like had a nursery in their, in their scummy hideout, um, you know, or whatever they had the capabilities to like take care of a baby. Um, but it could be possible that the path took care of him for a long time. And, uh, you know, the ne'er-do-wells that got him ended up with him after return of the Jedi, like anything's possible. There's, there's, unlimited storytelling potential for what happened to Grogu over those years. And I'm sure we'll see some of it at some point. And maybe the path um, plays a part in it at some point. But, you know, if Dave Filoni and John Favreau decide that they don't want to do that, there's nothing that ties them to it. Yeah. The, the only thing that makes me think that it could be the path is uh, the book of Boba Fett and those episodes kind of establish Correct me if I'm wrong, but establish the idea that Grogu was trained as a Padawan or as a youngling uh, in the Jedi Temple and had some knowledge in, that he suppressed 
after Order 66. So that, that almost makes me think that like he was taken by some organization like the Path and kind of like hid that away. So when the Empire actually did, or the remnants of the Empire ca- captured him, um, that, you know, he didn't remember, obviously he didn't rem- remember enough to be able to like force jump out of their 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 way so um i don't know it will be interesting i'm sure we're gonna find out one way or another um i'm wondering how much because obi-wan kenobi as a series isn't considered part of the like mandalorian verse so i'm wondering how much dave filoni and john favreau i I know dave filoni gets a credit in at least some of these episodes i haven't looked at every episode um, but he gets a credit, a special thanks credit. So I'm wondering, like, how much they actually like. Well, talk I think things. Filoni has been like they're they've been pretty like, um, they've been pretty upfront about Filoni sort of like guiding everybody on that story lore kind of stuff, right? Like they're using him as George to come in and say yeah. like, hey, this is what you should do. But I mean, like all of the stuff with the Inquisitors and especially with this episode and those touches to the Clone Wars, like whose fingerprints are more on the Clone Wars in that era of storytelling more than Filoni's? For sure. I'm just wondering, like, is there setups here? I mean, obviously, the clone trooper in episode two, I think, I think th- it feels like it was it, it, it was a calculated thing. But, like, I'm wondering, like, uh, when they were at, for, we first saw the path and there was that name. What was the name on the wall? Of a Jedi that was part of the path. In the earlier episode, that was Quinlan Voss, uh, who Quinlan Voss. Like, do you think like that was to put there to seed something that could be in? I mean, Mendo? do you want to do you know what I mean? Like, do I'm you wondering... want to talk about this now, or do you want to talk about it later? Because I've got some thoughts on that with with Corwin uh, Shelvey. Okay, let's get back, let's get to okay. that later to keep that interesting, keep people interested. <laughs> uh, Brad, what do you think? Do you think Grogu was saved by the path? I mean, like Brian said, you know, it's it's. I think it's a good possibility. It's. I mean, the the timing doesn't necessarily make. Um, I don't know. Like, yeah. Like, uh, there's some things that would be interesting about it. Other things that I feel like maybe it's better if he, there, he had a different path. You know, because then we just have to deal with you know even more canon crossover as far as like a character being involved with things that happened further. You know, earlier than they technically entered the Star Wars uh, timeline. So. You know, I don't know. An interesting idea, one that I don't necessarily need, one that would be cool if it did end up tying together. But I feel like Filoni and Favreau kind of operate on their own level and they're not necessarily coordinating with what's going on with the rest of the Star Wars shows because they have like their own little universe within Star Wars that they're playing in. You know, so much that like there were books, you know, that they stopped being written because they didn't want to have to worry about, you know, trying to adhere to any extra canon that they weren't creating, you know. So uh, a possibility again one that doesn't seem necessary but you know we'll, we'll see what happens yeah okay uh next question comes from ashley d who writes in if the inquisitors are collecting bodies of all the jedi and force sensitive people that they take down why did they leave nari the jedi played by benny safty in the first episode of this series on tatooine 
I don't think that they're doing it with all of them. I think that there's maybe just some that they've had as as trophies and maybe just like a certain variety to like, you know, kind of like how uh, a hunter doesn't have, you know, uh, five uh, of the same rhino heads, you know, or zebra heads like up on their wall. You know, you just have one and like show it. Well, up. and they keep some for for bait, too. Like we saw with Luminara and Dooley's corpse in Rebels, like they will use these as bait where they need to, where they can. And I mean, let's be honest, dark side users are really dramatic. And when they want to make a very dramatic point, they'll, you know, string a guy up on a Tatooine street. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I guess the, the fact that they had like a little youngling in, in this um, tomb Makes me wonder, like, who they consider important enough to put in there. I don't know. I, I don't know but if it's I important think... enough. I, I think it's just by the situation. It's like, hey, are we gonna are we gonna make an example out of this one, or are we gonna put them in the trophy room? And it's like, eh, you know, dealer's choice this time. <laughs> I, I I I like Brad's idea of it being like they just want a a variety. They, they, they want to walk through those halls and like be like, look at all the types of force users. We yeah, we got, we got a kid, we got an old lady, we got we got <laughs> this 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 guy over here. <laughs> okay, let's jump into it, uh, Brad. I'll start with you this week. Give us your brief thoughts on uh, what do they call this? Is this episode five or chapter five? They've been, or... Yeah, they've been calling them chapters. No, they've been calling them episodes. Well, they, well they, I mean, they've been referring to oh, them as episodes, but the titles are chapters, aren't they? No, if you look on Disney+, Plus, it see. says episode one, episode two, episode three. Oh, it's that's... it's episode, but it's uh, Roman numeral five. Oh, okay, that's what it is. Okay. So, uh, so, yeah, so honestly, uh, I think this might be the best episode of the season. Um I, I really like this episode a lot. I, I love the, the juxtaposition between... Uh, the flashbacks with Anakin and Obi-Wan with what's happening uh, in the episode in, you know, quote unquote, uh, present day. Uh, I, I like the confrontation uh, between, you know, uh, Vader and the various characters, you know, that he uh, has confrontations with. Just, yeah, I loved everything about this episode from from the action to the thematic elements. Uh, it was it was very well done. Um, I, I still feel that the, the, even though this one... F- felt a little bit bigger as far as like set pieces and the action elements. It's still pretty uh, small scope episode. Uh, one where they're making good use of uh, small, small sets and their resources, but I, I don't think I felt it quite as much. And uh, yeah, I just, I overall, I really enjoyed this episode. Yeah. That, that, that's my biggest criticism of the series of the whole is like each episode has been like, they're backed into a corner. They get out of the corner. Next episode, they get backed into a corner in a different planet. They get out of the corner. Um, Brian, what are your brief thoughts on this Um, I mean, I'm with Brad. I think this has been my favorite episode of the series so far, and I I suspect it's for different reasons, too. Like, I have a really emotionally, like, solid connection with the prequels and this era of storytelling, and seeing them go back to that well both and revisit both Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith on top of having these echoes of last Jedi and empire strikes back in that, that middle chapter of the saga sort of feel um, it's really terrific stuff. It's really terrific stuff. I really like this episode. I, I feel like you guys liked it a little bit more than me. Uh, I like, I think this show 
for me is at its best when it gets to focus around the relationship of Obi-Wan and Anakin. And I know it hasn't had that much time to do so, but, but, um, you know, the prequels have built up that in such a way that it, it just feels so epic and every moment, even Obi-Wan like thinking about Anakin just feels so as such a like gravitas to it. Like it just like, uh, it feels so much bigger than a TV series when it, when it's about that stuff. And then when it's about other stuff, um, I'm a little less excited about it. Um, I, I thought the action in this episode was, was very solid. Um, we'll talk about that later. I, I like that this episode finally clarifies a bunch of things that have been causing some fan outrage and uh, the, the outer rim and uh, those fans jump to some conclusions and it, it seems uh, we have some answers. Uh, and um, I will say, shockingly, I, I feel the more I think about it, that some of the, the writing, there's some uh, writing choices that are a little bit baffling, but we can talk about that a little later. Um, but before we get into the breakdown, uh, last week I told you this theory that came from Matt Singer that episodes one through four, uh, kind of paralleled episodes one through four of the Skywalker saga. Um, I'm wondering, did you feel the episode five continued that tradition? And I'll ask Brian that because... Brian, you even referenced Empire Strikes Back in your review headline. Yeah, no, and I, I do think, it, like, as we've been talking about that for the last week and revisiting those episodes, I do think that there's a lot to that. Um, and I think that there is something there. And I think that that's reflected in how they're calling them episodes one through six, right? How they decided to, to divide that, the storytelling that way. Um, but this episode... Because both both of the other shows are chapters, yeah. right? Like Book of Boba Fett are chapters. Mandalorian's and, chapters. Uh, Mandalorian yeah. chapters. Um, but I think that this really pays off some of that, right? Where you have the beleaguered resistance, uh, being under attack by the empire and, and, you know, it's a smaller scale sort of battle of Hoth, uh, kind of situation and they, they get away, right? Like that transport pulling away feels very much like the millennium Falcon pulling away from Vader and he's pissed about it. You know, I think, uh, all of these middle chapters have some rhyming to them, right? And, um, so we obviously see some attack of the clones. We've got empire where, um, it mirrors very much last Jedi, but I think this episode leaned on some last Jedi too, where you have Obi-Wan sort of going out beyond the doors and facing off against everyone by themselves, just like Luke does as well. And this is a story that's going to spread. This is the spark of the Jedi. This is what Jedi do. And so I think it, it really is that middle dark chapter of star Wars that we're used to, uh, played uh, in this fifth episode of the show. Okay, let's jump into the breakdown. Um, actually, before we start into the breakdown, I wanted to mention that this episode was co-written by Andrew Stanton, who, you know, uh, among many things, he, he has screenwriting credits on Toy Story, all the Toy Story movies, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, Finding Dory, Wally, John Carter. So this is his second live action screenwriting credit um but and i there's rumor has it he might also have a credit on next week's episode as well i i i can't say that i felt his his touch on this episode but uh, uh brad what do you think did you, did you feel any interest in here 
Nothing specifically, no. There wasn't anything that, like, jumped out to me, uh, like, that, you know, felt like anything he's done for Pixar or, uh, you know, even stuff with John Carter. So, um, not, yeah, not, not anything that, that comes to mind. I think, I think one of the things, one of the strengths that Andrew Stanton has as a writer is really good, like, visual storytelling and juxtaposition of things. Um, and I, I think this episode actually had a lot of that. And I don't know if that's because of his writing or because it's just very natural for the structure of the show. But I mean, um, I think that visual storytelling and that juxtaposition is something that's on display here. And I don't know if it's necessarily him specifically, but but I think that that sort of thing that he does really well has is there. Yeah. Uh, this episode, like episode one, begins with a warning card. And immediately when this warning card played, Brian, I knew I was right. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, and 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 I again I've gotta I've gotta I've gotta hand it to you. The timeline still doesn't feel like it quite works out, but uh, you know, my hat's off to you and I'm willing to say like I was wrong. And it was the timeline. The only reason I thought you were wrong was the timeline, but they're they're fudging the timeline pretty good for this. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, I will say that I, I, you know, it's not like I was a genius. It, tons of people had this theory, so um, it's okay. You can take your pat on the back. <laughs> okay, uh, they had the uh, same Star Wars logo opening with the same characters as last week because I'm now paying attention to that. And the episode I, begins. W- well, wait, actually, wasn't Lola added this time, or was she? Did she appear before? She, this? she, she, she was added last week. Oh, okay. I didn't notice it last week. I noticed it this week. Her and the time clock gonk droid were added last week so it's it's, i don't know i'm not sure what's going on with that i'm sure we'll never get an answer and it will bug me forever but whatever uh this episode uh opens with a flashback to a training session a sparring training session between obi-wan kenobi and anakin skywalker and uh by the way how how great was that reveal when it when it kind of pulls back and you see the back of anakin's head uh, Hayden Christensen's head and with the the braid and everything. It, I don't know. It, it made it gave me tingles. I'll say. Um, but uh, w- when is this taking place? Do we have any idea? I have gone trying to figure out exactly when it is, and I think there's we've got a couple of options here. One is, I mean, it feels like it's very close to the Clone Wars. Obi Wan is very much in his Clone Wars look, and Anakin's very much in in his Clone Wars look. Um, so there's there's sort of two choices. I feel like it's right between their border dispute on Ancion that Mace Windu talks about uh, that they've just returned from right before the events of Attack of the Clones, or it's sometime in the few weeks after the beginning of the Clone War after Anakin's um, marriage to Padme. But I don't get that impression that the Clone Wars have started yet. But I mean, there's very little to go off of. And... The thing I learned about the timeline is really like, unless there's a narrative reason to pin something down exactly, uh, they won't. And so it could happen anytime, immediately before or immediately after Attack of the Clones. Can we see Anakin's hand ever clearly? Because that would kind of be the dead giveaway. Oh, yeah, 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 no. So so um, it's definitely before the movie then. Um, because I do think we see his hands there and he's not wearing any gloves. Um, so yeah, it's probably, and and, and you say that because he loses a hand in the battle of Genosis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so 
Yeah, it seems like it would be probably in those couple of days as they're practicing or coming back after that border dispute on Ancion. And where are they? This is a place that looks familiar. Uh, this is in the Jedi Temple. So on Coruscant and this, I mean, this is the same place that like we see like the, the, the younglings training in episode one, it looks like, like that kind well, of same I'm sure, area. Yeah, I'm sure they have like several different rooms that yeah. are very similar situated on like the outside of the Jedi Temple that you can get that view. Yeah. Um, what did you think? Okay, Disney has a very long history of taking actors and de-aging them. You know, they've done a lot of that in the Marvel movies. They've done some of that in Star Wars with Luke Skywalker. Um, what did you think of how Hayden Christensen looks? And uh, I guess to another, uh, to a lesser extent, uh, you know, Ewan as Obi-Wan in this, this flashback that should be like, what, two decades earlier? Yeah, I mean, I think that sometimes Hayden looks outstanding, and then other times you can see, like, you can see the aging on his face and, like, some of the mature features he's gained in the 20 years uh, since. It's not flawless. Sometimes it's really great. Um, and, like, I think Obi-Wan's is, is probably better than, than Hayden's uh, for the most part. And also, did it feel to you like... Hayden was maybe a little taller than Ewan and like taller than he should be compared to how they looked in Attack of the Clones. No, if you yeah. look at Attack of the Clones and you look at like them on the elevator, look at those shots, like Hayden's considerably taller than Ewan in those shots, even in Attack of the Clones. Okay. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 but yeah, in general, I think it, they did a pretty good job for for the most part, but there are just some times where it seemed like that maybe, maybe they didn't they didn't do something when they should have, and it, it showed a little bit. I think it was pretty good. Um, I could have used them de aging him a little bit more, but it wasn't enough for me to go like, you know what? Forget this story. I'm out. I'm very much. <laughs> I'm very much in the. I was talking to somebody about this earlier too, like. They're like, I'm really glad they didn't de-ageify them digitally. And I was like, I kind of was hoping that they would. And they're like, oh, I hate it. It kicks me out of the story. Um, and I was like, the story is the thing I'm paying attention to, not necessarily the, the effects that it takes to get me there, which is why I never really had a transition. Be like, I never had difficulty with the transition between like puppet Yoda and CG Yoda, right? Like you go back to that George Lucas quote from from Star Wars to Jedi, where he says a special effect is a tool, a means of telling a story. And for me, like, I don't care how they accomplish the effect, or even if it looks cheesy, as long as the story is cool, I'm invested. I can be just as invested in, you know, a dude in a rubber suit tearing down a city. <laughs> if the story works, then I can the new CG iterations of Godzilla, right? Like, none of that kind of stuff bothers me. And this worked well enough it served the story however they did or didn't do it well enough that it didn't bother me one way or the other yeah i feel like the only time that it kind of it distracts from the story is when it actually like distracts you know when, it, when when like you actually see it and i i do feel like there was like i don't know some shots of hayden that like he seemed you could tell he was much older and also the ewan's uh wig it didn't look great, but um, you know what? It didn't look great in Attack of the Clones, then. So that's actually on brand. <laughs> that's yeah, true. I was gonna say that is fully accurate because it looked terrible in Attack of the Clones. <laughs> it was it was uh, for the reshoots stuff too, especially when he, when he had the fake beard for the reshoots. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, I will say one thing that like there was that point that they used Anakin's voice, uh, Hayden Christensen's voice. And if you've heard Hayden Christensen talk recently while he was doing press for this or at Star Wars Celebration, like his voice, you know, is way different than it was when Attack of the Clones was coming out. And they did a good job at I'm not sure if they used that, that, that same tool that they used on the Mandalorian. But they did a good job of making him sound like he was Attack of the Clones era. I think what, one thing I noticed with some of his line deliveries is that they feel like a really great match between Hayden's Anakin and Matt Lanter's on Clone Wars. And that's the kind of stuff like you can see where Hayden Christensen really did his homework watching Clone Wars. And it came out in little ways and how he delivered a couple of the lines. <laughs> Brad, are you okay? <laughs> Or was that Brian? Something fell. My cat like was knocking <laughs> something over. Sorry. Your cat doesn't want you to record this podcast. It's fine. We get it. Your cat is possessed by the Sith. Yeah, I was um, gonna say it sounds like someone's cat attacks something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh you know, these flashbacks are used throughout the episode to establish a bunch of things, how well Obi Wan understands Anakin and how uh, Anakin's insistence on proving himself made him blind to little things uh, that a Jedi should be mindful of and various other things. Instead of coming back to this throughout the episode, I thought, let's just discuss this sparring match as a whole. And uh, Brad, do you have anything to say about th these whole sequences and how they're used throughout the episode? Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said in my initial reaction, you know, I, I like the just juxtaposition. I like checking back in and like seeing how you know their their battle of sorts right now is still you know the same as it was before. Anakin hasn't necessarily uh, fully learned his lesson yet, and Obi Wan has figured that out, and he's he using it to his advantage. You know, and on top of that, the lightsaber battle itself, seeing them fight again, is also uh, very cool. But I, I think this like this is a great way to lean into you know the line that a lot of people have been focusing on in a new hope which you know when they meet each other uh, you know Vader famously says when I left you I was but the learner now I am the master and this you know really cements that even at this point with Darth Vader being as powerful as he is he still you know isn't able to get the best of Obi-Wan yet and he probably won't before the series is over. Um, so, and you could even, it could even be argued that he still doesn't get the best of Obi-Wan, you know, in, in a new hope, you know, because Obi-Wan does exactly what he knows he needs to do in order to, uh, ultimately defeat Vader. So yeah, I, I, I like that they did this and it just, uh, yeah, it added a, a whole new, you know, layer to their, their relationship and really kind um, enhanced and added to what was already established in the Clone Wars, because in the Clone Wars, we see so much of their relationship develop even more so than we did in the prequels because we got to spend so much more time with them. So I like seeing that carrying over a little bit even more into live action. I yeah, really I love the the way some of the fighting echoes that mirror of themselves that we saw in Revenge of the Sith, but also how that, that fight between the two mirrors um, Reva and Vader's fight as well. Um, some of the flourishes and the, those ideas of the in the choreography where Vader's doing it with Reva without even a lightsaber, but he can't compete with Obi-Wan. And so there's this master-student, master-student sort of dynamic that plays out with that that really is thematically bolstered by bookending everything with these light, with this lightsaber duel. 
Yeah, I think the juxtaposition of seeing this lightsaber fight and the one that we see later in this episode, uh, showing you how Vader's style has changed, but it, it's still, um, you know, the, like it's still the same kind of themes and stuff to it and how he's able to, I mean, it's the difference of fighting, you know, someone who is a greater than you and then uh, you are the, the master here and just how easily he's able to, kind of um defend himself against the third sister later on um but i i, I love this whole sequence i <laughs> i don't know i i really hate if i was listening to this podcast i would hate me right now because i'm gonna do the thing i hate when i when i listen to podcasts about people talking about movies or tv shows that i like and i'm gonna do the thing where i'm where the person should be talking should be praising the the, the scene that he got but instead, he's using it as a negative elsewhere, and I, I'm sorry that I'm doing that, but I wish we had more of this. I wish we had more. You you hired Hayden Christensen to come back and reprise his role as Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader, and it's such, like, the best parts of the show. I wish, you know, now that we only have one episode left, I wish we could have gotten more flashbacks well, and stuff. I think, I think we're probably going to get more of this in ahsoka yeah and i I think that might be just as meaningful or more so whether it's hayden as a force ghost which is something i've been wanting to see since uh they announced the force awakens um or we could see him in these flashbacks and i didn't think that these flashbacks were necessarily an option but seeing how well they did it here could you imagine hayden christensen in clone wars era anakin garb with Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka playing scenes together from the Clone Wars. I would love to see that. I mean, you don't hire Hayden Christensen to... I mean, the person in the suit's not even Hayden Christensen, right? It depends. No, like, there are people that that both do stand-ins and as doubles uh, for some of the fight stuff and for some of the standing stuff and, and whatever, but he's definitely still in the suit for some of it. Um, and he's, I think he's running lines. Um, and yeah, but correct, he's, uh, but correct me if you're, uh, if I'm wrong, if you're hiring Hayden Christensen, you're bringing him back to show his face. That's uh, uh, more than not, I would think. I, like, and, so well, I think- yes, yeah, yes and no. Cause I mean, they, cause they did and they have, and I think for more, more so it's like, it's, the, it's the same thing of like, you know, saying that you brought back, you know, Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, but you're not necessarily using him all the time to portray Luke Skywalker. So, like, yeah. it's it's more of, like, an integrity thing of, like, oh, like, oh, they brought back Hayden Christensen. It, like, puts the fans at ease, gets them really excited, even if he's not there all the time or seen very much. Like, Hayden Christensen is part of the show, and they brought him back for it. Yeah. Because, like, it's, they, they also did that with... um. Chewbacca, when Peter Mayhew couldn't uh, really walk anymore or anything like that, and they brought in um, Jonas. Yeah, yeah, Jonas Swotmo, and yeah. and so he he did a lot of stuff that Peter Mayhew couldn't, and but they brought Peter Mayhew back because you know it, it was important to fans. They did the same thing with Kenny Baker in Force Awakens too. Like I think he was probably in like two shots as R two, but that was enough to put him in the credits and make everybody happy that everybody was returning. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, okay, so Darth Vader gives the third sister a promotion to Grand Inquisitor, which I don't think uh, anybody was as surprised as her as she was to get to get that promotion. Um, so they follow the tracker to Jabim and 
there seems to be a lot more people working for the path there than we saw last time. Or maybe they're not working for the, the some of those people are being saved by the path. Yeah, I think um, a lot of them are refugees. There's definitely refugees. A, few, a, a few more people that are part of the path, but yeah, a lot of those people there are refugees. Yeah. Um, the credits put Corin in that group of refugees as well. So, like, even if they're Where's not, Corrin? like... Corin was the little kid that Haja was getting out in um, episode two. Oh, like yeah. because of his because of his special abilities and um he was um well i guess this goes into my my corwin thing that we'll talk about too but uh in the future of the star wars legends corin horn is somebody who ends up in luke's jedi academy is that the jedi academy this you're talking about legends right yeah just be uh, okay not the one or why well, actually i guess he well he had a jedi academy with kylo or with ben yeah. solo would he have been there or you, you're just um you're well just talking I, about in in general in the legends corin goes on to become one of the jedi masters and then he goes off and trains other people and whatnot in in that storytelling but so does corwin shelve um and so i really feel like they're seeding all of that stuff now and, and they're they're bringing corin to corellia too which is what haja says they're taking him to corellia and that's sort of where that character grew up in the legends timeline yeah um and also here is haja who is is now wanted by the empire <laughs> so so he's now on the run as well and uh they actually got a couple um they got a couple star wars fans to fill out the scene i'm not sure if you know that uh, uh, one of my friends michael um some people might know him as the co-founder of the the bike company super 73 but people in the star wars circles probably know him as rexing around he was a star wars creator um who had a podcast and uh, uh mysteriously shut down the podcast and stop doing Star Wars stuff right around the time that Obi-Wan Kenobi was shooting. So now we know why <laughs> he was in the background of the scene. Um, yeah. So that's, that's cool that Michael got to be in there because he, he, he started this campaign online. He was like trying to get people to like, uh, he wanted to be in a Star Wars movie or TV show. And he like had this whole campaign of trying to, uh, make Rexing around canon. Or something like that, um, and it happened. So I'm I'm happy for him. Um, and yet here we are, none of us with any Star Wars cameos in our resumes. <laughs> so. Yeah, we need to. You need to get Eric <sighs> Eric Vespi on here to, to talk about how he scored his. Yeah, uh, we. Um, I mean, can can we at least get like Charles Soule to like name a planet like the like Soretta planet or? So I've got I've got a or... planet named after me in the canon. You do? You really? Yeah, Planet Youngbry, uh, that featured in Alex Segura's <laughs> Poe Dameron book. That's pretty cool. That is yeah. awesome. Yeah. So it's not a cameo, but it's something. Well, I mean, you're Brian... you're basically you're basically a planet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're basically a Star Wars planet, Brian. That's incredible. That's awesome. Have they done anything else on the planet, or is it just in no, that no, one book? No, it's just no. it's just the one book. If I ever need yeah. to do something Star Wars, 
I don't think I'd get away with being able to set anything there either because it, like, it's way too obvious if I do it as the author. <laughs> it's it's, fa- it's fa- a podcast or a planet famous for podcast transmissions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the the omen, uh, something. Yeah, the, the omen system. Yeah, remember the omen defense omen. that they did in, uh, back in the Clone Wars. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, okay, <laughs> just just putting that out there. I'm sure there's some some people that write Star Wars of some kind. If you wanna, you know, put Soretta or Omen into the Star Wars canon, I, we wouldn't be we wouldn't sue you. Just just saying, we'd probably be happy about it. Um, <laughs> but okay. Anyways, uh, they only have a few hours to get these people to safety, and the timeline is uh, accelerated when Vader's Star Cruiser shows up. Is this the same Star Cruiser that he had in A New Hope? It is the Devastator. Um, or, 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 or Star Destroyer, not yeah. Star Cruiser. Um, it, it's confirmed in the credits that uh, the, the Devastator captain uh, is played by, uh, I forget which actor, but yeah, this is the Devastator. This is the same Star Destroyer that he chases Leia with and uses in Rogue One, and he's been flying it around for, I guess, you know, 10 years at least by That's then. That's cool. Okay, so Obi-Wan is left looking at this wall in the cave that has a bunch of Arabesh written on it. Kind of like the wall on um, that uh, the other planet. Um, likely uh, from Jedi that have passed through here, thanks to the path. And a, a, a lot of it's kind of hard to read. There's a Jedi logo and uh, may the, may the uh, force be with you appears there. Did you, did you find anything on here, Brian? Yeah, there's another one, too. There's a moment that, that there's something that, that reads, there is no death, um, which is part of the Jedi Code. The The rest of that sentence is, uh, there is no death, there's only peace. Um, May the Force be with you is in there. Obi-Wan's line, the light will fade but is never forgotten, is, is written. That's the, sort of the largest thing in the centerpiece. Um, the only other name I was able to make out uh, in time for my, my deadline this morning on the piece was the name of Corwin Shelvey, who we talked a little bit about before. Um, Corwin Shelvey was in a galaxy guide from the old West End role-playing game series. And this, again, this is this has got Pablo Hidalgo fingerprints on it. Um, but uh, in, in that canon, he ends up, like he finds it, he's Force-sensitive and finds a Jedi Master who's masquerading as someone else and becomes a Jedi and ends up in Luke's new Jedi order. Um, which is why I kind of feel like a lot of these Easter eggs, whether that's Quinlan or whether that's Corin or whether that's uh, Corwin, uh, any of these people and the path, I think they're, they're setting up seeds for storytelling in the future where they could be taking some of these Jedi from the Legends era dropping them in the timeline at the right times so that when they do want to pick up that storytelling for Luke's um, Jedi Academy, they have them that they can fall back on them and bring some of these fan favorites out. Well, not, yeah. I don't think Corwin Shelvey <laughs> has ever been a fan favorite. I don't think anybody's ever really known about him. He was in just like that one RPG book, but Corin is definitely a fan favorite and, and he was created by, um, Michael A. Stackpole, who wrote the X-Wing books. And and Mike is, is, I don't know, I would love to see more in Star Wars from Mike, um, personally. But 
Cool. Um, Obi-Wan re- reads that line, and uh, it's interesting here that, like, you know, he reads the line, the light will fade, but is never forgotten. Um, it, instead of getting wisdom from Master Qui-Gon, he's been getting the wisdom from, like, other Jedi that have walked this path. And I feel like they've kind of given up, like, the first couple episodes, there's, like, a big... Um, to do about him trying to communicate with Qui-Gon and not hearing anything. And I feel like we've kind of like not heard about that for a couple episodes. Um, but I'm, he's I'm, been busy. Give him a break. Yeah. I'm guaranteeing you it's probably going to happen next, next week, but it's, it's, it's Chekhov's force ghost. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's also heartbreaking seeing Obi-Wan see this box of discarded lightsabers and robes. And, but it makes me wonder, like, so I know these Jedi are trying to get away. They're, they're trying to leave their Jedi world behind them, but would they really get rid of their lightsabers? I feel like that would, they would bury it in the sand near someplace where they end up or something. These, these could be lightsabers and robes and stuff from Jedi that the path were trying to help, but killed or had witnessed killed Uh. and then recovered this stuff or i mean like there's a lot of kurosawa in um there's a lot of kurosawa in star wars right like if you remember in seven samurai when kikuchio goes through and sort of finds all of the samurai weapons under the floorboards of the um peasants and it's because when the tables were turned and they had to turn against whoever like turn against the samurai they did because it was a matter of self-preservation, and maybe maybe this is a hint of that. I don't necessarily get that impression, but it it, it is a possibility um, in the storytelling that that maybe maybe there were situations where it was like, okay, we've got to save the path altogether, or maybe get rid of one of these Jedi, and maybe they get rid of a Jedi. Yeah, and uh, n- none of these lightsabers look f- that familiar. I didn't I didn't pick any of them out, yeah. um, but. That's not to say they weren't anybody's. I just didn't go through and, and dig through the books of lightsaber hilts that everybody had to, to do it. It, were, it wasn't, they, none of them were any of the like recognizable lightsaber hilts. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Lola, that little traitor, sneaks into the control panel, locks the exit port, locks them in. Uh, ben makes speech to the crowd and comes up with a plan to possibly allow them to escape. And um, there's a ton of different, like, among this group, there's a ton of, like, Star Wars aliens. We saw some Trandoshans, like, kind of have a heart-to-heart with their, like, heads uh, up against each other. You know, I can't help but notice that... Uh, a good number of the other species we see in this scene are the same ones who have been prominently featured in other Star Wars shows. So <laughs> is there some, some uh, you know, resourcefulness as far as reusing certain prosthetics and uh, stuff that's already been created? Or, uh, you know, are these just like the most popular species to be seen around these planets? Seems, seems like a, an interesting coincidence. I don't know what you're talking about, Brad. They would <laughs> um, never I mean, do that. Uh, there was a Tarsunt in there. We haven't seen one of those in a while, and those are very prequel aliens. That was very much <laughs> Neil Scanlon's group. 
doing that work on those. But yeah, yeah. Nikto and a Trandoshan or, or a group of Trandoshans. Um, I mean, it's it's better than but not also, having any aliens. But also, like, Star Wars has a legacy of doing that anyways. All, all the oh, sure, aliens sure. from that original cantina scene were, like, reused masks and stuff like that so. no no of course of course i'm, I'm mostly joking yeah but. yeah um okay uh oh there i also want to mention there's a new like i want to say it's a new r series droid it's shaped like a top Not yeah sure. i noticed i noticed that too yeah because it's the one that's welding the door shut and it's got like a like a little cone body <laughs> Yeah, like I'm not sure how practical it is or what what that cone body gets uh, like accomplishes, but it looked cool. Um, okay, so Riva arrives with dozens of stormtroopers and a couple purge troopers, and they begin an assault on the outside door, blast door, and Roken is unable to open the big port doors, uh, and little Leia offers to climb into the control panel and try to help, and he's like, no, and Obi Wan's like, let her, and he's like, okay. And <laughs> I really loved how Obi-Wan's very take charge in this situation where he's like, here's our chance and here's our plan where he's already grown a lot from the first two episodes of this show um, significantly, where I don't think the Obi-Wan sitting in the cave broken asking for Qui-Gon's help in episode one is necessarily going to do any of this leadership here that comes very naturally to him that he's doing here in this fifth episode. Yeah. We're definitely seeing general Kenobi in this episode. Yeah. I will say that the Leia in the, in that little control box is probably my least favorite part of this episode. Yeah. It I felt don't like really we buy need it, to give this character something to do for this episode. Let's put her in the, and like, it takes her that long to like, Figure, figure out that out there's a which glowing... wire was yeah which wire was cut or like which one was unplugged or or whatever you know and like and there hasn't really been anything to establish her as this like brilliant like tech kid is there it's like it's not like she built Lola or anything like that or could even fix her herself right yeah I don't know like it, it seemed like it seemed like a weird thing to be like hey you know what yeah let this kid go <laughs> fix the door that it's gonna take O'Shea Jackson Jr. three to four hours to hack. Well, it was it was very much she was just the only one around that a was small enough to get in and volunteer and Obi Wan's just like eh, let her try. Okay, you, would think like there would, you would think there would be like some kind of guidance though. Be like, okay, Leia, once you get in there, you need to look for this, you know, and like or someone at least talking to her like from the outside and being like, what do you see? They just trust you. Oh yeah, go in there and just mess with the wires. Kid. I think it felt well, to, to me fair, a little bit. Hajo like, was like they they said the red cables and she was like shut up. Or whatever, whatever um, happened there. So, like, the, the other thing, too, is it felt as much like Obi-Wan was was doing with her what Qui-Gon did with Anakin and Phantom Menace, where it's just like, stay in the cockpit. We're going to take care of this. Like, if there's, uh, like, a place for her to be safe, it would probably be up on this ladder in this box, more so than on the ground where they're going to be fighting stormtroopers. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I'll give you that. To be a little bit more nitpicky, Brian, because you're not going to stop me. She was in that box for how long and didn't see the glowing red light of her droid amongst the wires? Okay, Lola anyways. was hiding. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, where are where, 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 where we lost? Uh, ben gets a message on his hollow projector disc 
I think that's the technical term. And it's Bill Jedi Organa. Jedi no, communicator. It's, a, it's a Jedi hollow something. Hollow projector disc? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, anyways, it's Bill Organa who is worried something has happened to Obi-Wan and that Vader may have learned of the children. And if so, he's going to go to Tatooine. And boy, is Bill like stupid. Really? Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't understand. Like, first of all, Obi-Wan, like, hey, I'm worried someone's going to discover the huge secret we don't want anyone <laughs> to know about. And I'm going to say the secret right here. Let me know if we're good. <laughs> yeah. And not only that, we're, I'm going to go to Tatooine where the, the secret is if, if things go wrong. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like there's a more vague way of, of saying all of this. It just seemed really stupid. It runs in the family with with Leia's message to General Kenobi. Really? I would have to go back. I don't know. I'm well, not, I, mean, I guess I guess, like, I guess that's true. She she does the message is very clearly saying the plans of the Death Star are in this droid. So if oh, anybody yeah. ever intercepted it, they would be they would know exactly what it is. So not really much encryption okay. going on there. Okay, good good point. Good point. I just think that the that Bail Organa seems like a smart man. And could have been a lot more vague. He could have been like, "I'm sure um, it's it's encrypted so that only Obi Wan's communicator can undo that." Like they're not just talking on open lines. It's not like he's broadcasting that. Yeah, but what what if it, it, he suspects already, Brian, that Obi Wan might have been captured or is possibly even dead, which would mean that the communicator would be in someone else's possessions. So why say all this? Okay. Anyways. That, that, that's the bad better writing that I'm complaining about uh, that I mentioned earlier. I just feel like I, I get it. At the end of this episode, someone gets their hands on this communicator and it has some incriminating evidence that will come into play in next week's episode. But like, it just feels like it felt like too, too easy. <laughs> but, um, okay. Anyways, he shares a moment with Tala about how she was responsible for the death of four force sensitive families at the hands of the Empire on a planet that I didn't even recognize, but Brian, you did some some research on this. I kind of, this was actually one of those ones where as soon as she said she was stationed on Garel, I was doing that Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen thing. Um, <laughs> Garel is a pretty prominent location in season two of Rebels, and that's where Phoenix Squadron and the Ghost Crew are stationed. And I thought it was a really, really wonderful touch to tie the storytelling together because one of the big storylines that happens there is when they're on Garel, Ahsoka comes to them and gives them a mission to rescue a number of Force-sensitive younglings that the Inquisitorius is hunting down. Um, so this really ties into that thematically uh, with Garel as a location across. And... and while they're actually on that mission, Ezra sort of blows Garel as their base of operations, and they have to move again, and that's when they find Adalon, which is their planet, uh, their penultimate stop before they end up on Yavin. Well, the events that happened to her on Garel led her to helping with the path, and she even keeps notches showing... I was a little unclear here. Is she showing how many people she's helped get through? Yeah, I think that was... Showing I thought that was what it was. She was showing how many she's helped through. Okay. I wasn't sure if it was like how many. Ben's new idea to slow them down is to request to negotiate with the Inquisitor. 
through a wall, they have this discussion and Obi-Wan suspects that Riva knows Anakin was Vader because she was actually a youngling during the night of Order 66. And uh, and right now I take my bow and uh, uh, the pat on the head back that Brian was talking about. There is pro- Take the pat on the back. You deserve it. <laughs> uh, okay, so we see this flashback from that night where Anakin shows up. Matt, uh, they think that he's there to help, but he actually mat- massacres all her Padawan friends. Quote, I tried to help them, but I couldn't. I was too weak. When he left, I played dead. What do you think happened here? Because, like, how, like, did he stab her? Because how do you play dead? Like, did she just, like, go on the ground and pretend to be dead? Or did she get... So, in the flashback that we see a little later, he stabs her. And she is wounded, but, like, hides among the dead bodies and plays dead the rest of the way. Yeah. I will say it does seem odd, considering this episode does make a point to make Darth Vader keenly aware of her plans, that he was not able to sense that she was still alive. Right? Or maybe he just assumed that she would eventually just die from her wounds and didn't see the need, feel the need to finish the job, but that was one thing that I thought at the time. Yeah. Which is what happens, like, they do that again, they just leave her to die in agony. The same right. way, again, this is thematically referencing Vader's creation on Mustafar. Right? Like, it's okay. I'm going to leave you for dead. And um, there's there was something really resonant well, we can talk about it later when the Grand Inquisitor shows up, but... Yeah. We'll talk about it then. Um, but, you, Brian, you had a problem with the age of this youngling. You didn't think it could match up. I, 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 I have the, I, Oh, go ahead. I have the details here. I have the details. So, Moses Ingram was 27 when this was filmed. Um, Ten years back would have made her 17 at Order 66. Yes, but I would say that but, she could probably play young 20s. So, she could be like yeah, a 22. Yeah, yeah, let's not pretend that like plenty of actors haven't no, played I know. below their age. I'm not. I, it was just it was like Riva seems like a character more more mature than any like early twenties person I've ever met. Yeah, I would yeah. I would agree with that. Um, and so but she might have been like, hardened for these by these years, like by this. No, and that's happened. fair, and that's fair, and so like she would have to be a, a an older youngling than most of the rest, yeah. right? Um, and and you. You pulled I did, up. I did some research. Yeah, Ayami yeah. Sledge, who is the actress that plays young uh, Riva, was 11 years old when they filmed this. And you don't even want to know how I got that information, Brian, <laughs> because the, the, there is no information on this actress anywhere on the internet. But I somehow did some googling. I'm good at the Google, and found a someone that was like a relative of her congratulating her on her birthday in 2019 when she was eight years old. So I was able to do the math and she's 11 years old when they filmed this. So, and that would make, um, you know, if we're taking that actor's age for the truth at order 66, that would make Riva 21. And maybe let's say that, that, that girl playing Riva as a youngling could be between 11 and 13 Right then, then we've got that early twenties for Riva, and I guess it's sort of if you squint your eyes, it works okay. <laughs> it works. It works. Um, uh, quote: Where were you when he was killing my friends? Um, obviously, o- Obi Wan has some regret here. You can see it in his eyes. 
Um, but I, I'm so confused. I like the idea of Riva. I like the idea of someone that was like abandoned during the Jedi purge, like someone that would like what would become of them and what, you know, her wanting to get after Obi-Wan. And maybe this is me projecting my, my thoughts on what I thought this was going to be and being disappointed that it isn't exactly what I thought I was going to be. But the fact that like, it seems like Obi-Wan says that you are hunting Vader, right? And I'm confused. Like, why was she so obsessed with finding Kenobi just to get in with Vader so that she could kill Vader? But over yeah. the process, she's killed so many Jedi and Force-sensitive people. I don't know. Like, I, I don't like her arc anymore. <laughs> Has she, though? Has she? We haven't actually seen her kill any Jedi. Yeah. We see the Grand Inquisitors going like, She's acting with like that rage that they expect and overacting, but we don't actually see her being the one killing any of the Jedi and she's working on teams with others. Um, we don't know exactly what she's guilty of. And also like, I I feel like she's already shared enough time with Vader to have taken the swing. Like what was she waiting for? Is what I'm. I'm... I, don't, I, th I think the I think the idea is that she hasn't been close to Vader at all, and that's why she's been trying to prove herself to become Grand Inquisitor so that she can be in Vader's presence and finally get the chance to do what she does want to do. Hmm. Fair enough. I just I, I just feel like um I don't know it, it's it doesn't seem as. I don't I I don't really completely understand what her plan was. I mean, I guess I understand her. How long has she been an Inquisitor? Do we even know that? No, nope. I don't know that. <sighs> okay, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not gonna harp on it too much because we don't have enough information. But it, it just seems well, there's not definitely sense to me. there's definitely a gap between her being a Jedi youngling, recovering, and then being found in the gutter, as the Grand Inquisitor says later in the episode. Yeah. So Riva uses her lightsaber to penetrate the blast doors and Ben forces her back. And we have this battle as Obi-Wan and a handful of paths, uh, refugees, soldiers, whatever you want to call them, uh, try to hold off dozens of troopers. And uh, Brad, what did you think of this whole action sequence? I mean, it was, even though it was in, uh, you know, one of those small locations and they're backed into a corner, uh, you know, I, I think that it worked pretty well for the most part. I think that maybe if there was one big problem I had, it was that I don't understand uh, why, uh, and the character's name escapes me, but she's the one who was working as a double agent for Tala? Path. Tala. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why she didn't throw the thermal detonator, because I feel like she would have done more damage if she threw it towards them, uh, rather than just holding on to it right there. I mean, that's a good point. I was like, why aren't you throwing this? Because like immediately we was like, everyone back up. And it's like, no, no, just just throw it. <laughs> I think there is something to be said, though. Like if she throws it, maybe there's a chance for someone to like catch it and disarm it or something. If she keeps it in her control, it's going to blow up the cavern. Maybe, uh... I guess. I guess. I also wasn't entirely sure why uh, Riva didn't try to use the force to do something about it, but. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm nitpicking. I'm nitpicking. Yeah. You know, they're heat, they're they're heat of the moment things. You're not necessarily always, you know, uh, thinking about all those possibilities. Even though Reva's a character who probably should. But anyway, yeah. But otherwise, a, a good action sequence, especially when we get to a certain 
confrontation between two characters. Wait, which which two characters? <laughs> I'm you know which characters. Oh, oh, you're we, the other character. Okay, no, we're not there yet because Tala I know, I know. ends up meeting her end, and uh, Ned B uh, attempts to shield her from the heavy blaster fire, and it's it's. Is it wrong that I feel more for the death of the droid than I do for Tala? It probably is. Is that a, is that a uh, misfunction in, in in my soul, or is that a problem, a storytelling problem that I, I care more for the droid than I do for? Maybe both. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to make a judgment on you, Peter. This is that's that's between you and whatever higher power you believe. In. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, so Talos sets off the thermal detonator, basically committing suicide for the cause and taking many troopers out in the process. And back in the hangar, Ben knows the fight is over. He surrenders to the Empire. He makes his last pitch to Riva that this will be her chance to kill Vader. Um, Leia finally discovers that her, her droid in the, the control box and removes the tracker tag that turned her evil. It's very easy to do that. And uh, she uses Lola's light to find the correct cable and fix it. The hangar door opens. And uh, I know I'm fast forwarding here, but we have uh, some more important stuff to talk about. Vader arrives and Ben escapes from the stormtroopers who had imprisoned him and runs into the hangar just in time for the escape plan. And Leia asks where's Tala. And that's where we have like a, a very short moment where you can see that he's can't tell her that she's dead but she realizes it and haja accidentally drops ben's hollow projector disc because fucking haja am i right um and uh vader gets to the hangar just as the transport is taking off and uses the force to pull it back down to the ground and we've seen this before in i mean rise of skywalker ray does it but it was also in a video game right um uh there's a lot of this sort of thing in the force unleashed. Um, and this is definitely Vader at the maximum of his power. Um, if I had any complaints about this episode, to be honest, it's that, um, there's such a high physical endurance cost for using the force. And Vader doesn't even seem to have broken a sweat by the time he turns around after this moment to start engaging Riva. I would argue that maybe it's because he's at a point where he is, so close to getting obi-wan and he's so fueled by his rage right now that maybe like it would make sense that he's just able to do that completely based on his anger and letting it flow yeah no I, I mean that's kind of what i that was kind of how i justified that in my head i think the part that i don't like is that somehow we don't see that second ship back there we we do see it there is a shot of it earlier on just like there's a shot of the second ship in rise of skywalker but, um, well, I guess more. I guess more so that Vader doesn't see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but, if, uh, like if he's. But they Obi Wan does have that line, right? Where it's like he's not going to see you because he's only yeah, going to be focusing yeah, on yeah. me. That's all right, all right, all right. Yeah, but I thought this whole sequence was kind of badass, and I, it was a brilliant, was. clever escape that I didn't see coming. And I loved Vader not only throwing the ship to the ground but also tearing the ship's hull apart and then you see like there's nobody in there and then there's the reveal of you know the plan happened the way obi-wan wanted it to happen um because he's the master 
Yeah. So Riva uses this opportunity to actually make her move and tries to take out Vader with her lightsaber, but it does not go well because Vader sensed it coming. And um, uh, this lightsaber fight's fun because uh, Riva has that Inquisitor lightsaber that can like spin, and Vader at one point like breaks in half. And I mean, everything about this fight is cool. Watching him engage in a lightsaber duel without a lightsaber was awesome i mean like just him stopping her attacks and then like that part where he like she kind of like he flips her and she like you know maneuvers out of it by doing uh like a cartwheel kind of flip and yeah everything about this was just was really well done and really cool and i love how she's like performing acrobatics like doing circles around him yet he's just like able to stand still and defend against it with with little movements on his part Again, it reminds me of Empire Strikes Back. Like, I think Empire Strikes Back, when you go back and watch Vader's um, fight with Luke, you see that he's using very, like, he's he's fighting very harshly, but he's doing it with one hand, and he's not moving anywhere near as much as Luke. Yeah. Um, no, it, it, it definitely demonstrates a mastery. Of sorts. So at the end, Riva finds herself in the same position she was in Order 66 with Vader stabbing her through the torso. Did anybody I, else think that he was going to cut her head off like Dooku? I did. I actually, when he came up with both those sabers, I was, I was thinking exactly that. And I was like, are they really going to get rid of her that quickly? Well, you quote, you are no further use. Uh, I don't understand why they just left her there. Like, I really, I don't know. This feels like sloppy. Vader doesn't seem like the type of person that at this point in his career and his life story that he would just leave someone that like, it feels like he would just crush her with the force or take, you know, rip off, you know, use the lightsaber to end it. Or I don't know. It just feels, feels like uh, we need her to be alive for the story more so than like, this is what would happen with these characters, if that makes sense. So that's, again, part of my, like, I'm nitpicking a little bit, but, like, I, I, I some of the story stuff doesn't I think, work well. I think there's an inherent cruelty behind leaving someone for dead, and I think mm -hmm. that drives a lot of Vader's, that drives a lot of Vader's motivations in his thirst for revenge against Kenobi, right? That there was this unnecessary cruelty to everything he suffered at the hands of Kenobi and he has no problems handing that cruelty to someone else yeah but leaving a grand inquisitor to uh, for dead who had just been stabbed in the stomach when the grand inquisitor shows up and he the same thing happened to him seems like a like why are we repeating the mistakes of what just happened do you know what I mean? Like, uh, and I'm talking about the old Grand Inquisitor who shows well, up. And, and especially since, as we pointed out before, he, she was stabbed previously when she was younger and she survived yeah. and came back and tried to do this. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have some issues there. But anyways, um, revenge, he says, does wonder for the will to live, don't you think? Brian, you pointed this quote out in your review. Yeah. Uh, for no, I think I think this this. Uh, it speaks to Vader and his motivations against Obi-Wan. It speaks to Reva and her motivations, both post-Order 66 and here and now. But I think it also references um, something 
broader than that, and and that's Maul and Maul's journey, and that's sort of exactly what they said kept him alive and fueled him all those years on Lotho Minor. Yeah. So it has this thematic element both in the show, meaningful to the characters, and in the broader sense of the Star Wars galaxy. It's my favorite stuff when it when it impacts on multiple levels. Um. The transport ship is packed to the gills and their hyperdrive is gone and the Empire is right behind them. Uh, seems like all is lost once again. Uh, reaching for her lightsaber, Riva notices the hollow projector disc and even Ben senses what has happened. Uh, she plays the message and now knows everything. She knows there's the secret with children and Tatooine and everything and uh, Obi-Wan kind of screwed up uh by leaving that disc with haja and it, it ended up on the ground and and uh to be fair here though obi-wan kind of screwed her over here i mean like i think obi-wan really thought that the plan would work he thought and that she, she would actually be able to kill kill vader if she would have struck earlier while he was pulling the ship down yeah yeah you might be right there you, you're probably right she probably took too long um, I love the look, uh, that there's like this extreme close up on Ben's face and it's for this extended beat. And he says there's nothing wrong, but the acting in his eyes and his face and Ewan McGregor is just doing such a, a great job in this, this whole season. But, um, just seeing it play out in his face, I thought was great. And, uh, that leaves us with the cliffhanger, which we get to see young Luke Skywalker asleep on Tatooine in his bed. Uh, now this leads to the the finale, which is next week. These are the stakes. Doesn't get more staky than this. But um, the problem is we we know that Luke and Leia are fine. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of like kind of confused by this because like there's no real threat here. We like we know that even if Vader finds out that the kids exist, that they're not in any more danger than they are. That they get themselves into uh, anyway in Star Wars A New Hope. Like, there's no... He, he doesn't go after them sooner. It doesn't matter that he finds out because we know he finds out anyway. And this doesn't necessarily... Why does it matter if he finds out sooner than what we think he did? Like, he, there's no indication that he's making any efforts to find uh, Leia or Luke in A New Hope or even, you know, until, like, Luke actually comes to him and reveals to him that he's his son so like brian maybe you have some insight here that i'm missing for me i feel like the stakes aren't that vader is going to discover them it's everything is so close and on the brink of being destroyed how is obi-wan like what what is obi-wan going to do to prevent all that from happening. We know that doesn't happen, but right now it seems impossible and insurmountable for Obi-Wan to pull a victory out of this. Yeah. And so the fun of the episode is going to see how Obi-Wan does it. And for me, those are, those are what the stakes are. Cause I know how this is going to end generally, but the one question, the stakes are like, how is Obi-Wan going to end this in such a way that Vader doesn't go looking for him continually? What is right. what is Obi Wan gonna have to sacrifice or give up? So like I understand like I'm I'm with you the stakes about the twins and Vader finding out like none of that matters. It's what decisions is Obi Wan going to make to protect them that are the stakes for me. 
Gotcha. Okay. okay. I feel like the better in your version of Brian, which I like your explanation, but in your version, the end, the end shot should be on Ewan's face and not on Luke Skywalker. I mean, it should be that worried look on his face and not Luke Skywalker because we, we already know what happens to Luke Skywalker. It, it should be on the characters. I don't know. Well, but, but I think, um, I think we get that with Obi-Wan, but I think you're also dealing with Obi-Wan like, Luke is a an avatar for Obi-Wan's concern about what's at stake for Obi-Wan. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, um, next week's episode is the finale. I honestly don't know how you're going to wrap all this up in one episode. My only prediction is, I mean, I have a couple predictions, but I think uh, we're going to hear from Qui-Gon. We're either going to hear his voice or a Force ghost. Uh, it's gonna. I'm not sure how or why, but I think that's going. Uh, like he's eventually, he's gonna finally be able to communicate with him, and I think, I think in the end, Riva is going to. I mean, she's gonna have an arc here, and she's gonna be. One of two things can happen. She's either gonna get killed, which I don't think it's gonna happen. I think we're doing a. Um, we're, we're having a. Um, a, a face turn here is what they would call it in pro wrestling circles <laughs> that the heel is going to turn face i think she's going to become a good guy i think she's going to protect the knowledge that she has and not give it away to vader um but what happens to her i don't know like we don't if she's not dead what has she been up to in the, you know during the original trilogy time or whatever or is she going to turn do you have and any- realize Maybe she's going to turn and realize that that the way to help isn't trying to murder Vader. It's part of that that theme of Star Wars that we got in Last Jedi, right? Like, we win by saving what we love, not fighting what we hate. And maybe she turns to the path because she spent too long fighting what she hated instead of saving what she loved. Yeah. Do you have any other predictions for next week's episode? I think you're right on Qui-Gon. I think, I think we're probably going to get Qui-Gon. And I think we're going to get a confrontation between... Um, you know, Vader and Obi-Wan. And I think we're going to see Jimmy Smith again. I think we're going to go back to Alderaan. I think we're going to get something on Alderaan. And um, I wonder if Owen and Baru are going to have a bigger role in the next episode too. I mean, they made a big deal about um, Joel Edgerton and Bonnie Peace coming back. And she hasn't even had a scene yet, right? Like, I think we'll probably see some of that on Tatooine, something's going to go down on Tatooine, whether that's with Reva and Obi-Wan, whether Obi-Wan is going to task Reva with her next thing. And I wonder if that's going to be the case. Maybe Reva spent some time in exile with Obi-Wan on Tatooine. Um, because she knows where to find Obi-Wan now. Brad, any, any predictions on the final episode? No, I, I think you guys pretty much hit everything that like I would have thought of. The I think Qui Gon is definitely the the biggest one that I had on my mind because like you don't set that up in the first episode unless you're going to pay it off in the last episode. And uh, having Liam Neeson finally appear as a Force ghost uh, on the show would be uh, pretty cool, and you know maybe give Obi Wan some semblance of peace in his isolation. Well, guys. We'll talk again next week, and we'll see <laughs> if any of our predictions came true. And uh, we'll have another discussion about Star Wars. It's my favorite time of the week to talk to you guys and um, 
thanks everybody for listening. Uh, you can find more of all of our work at slashfilm.com. You can find Brian's like uh, his review of this episode. It's called The Empire Strikes Back and Obi-Wan Kenobi's Spellbinding Fifth Episode. I'll put the link in the show notes. This podcast is published every weekday on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Get everything for your next project today at Menards and save big money. Keep your walls and trim protected while you paint with Scotch Blue Painter's Tape. It's designed for use on multiple surfaces and can be removed easily without leaving residue behind. Save big on Scotch Blue Painter's Tape from Menards. Also, view our weekly flyer on Menards.com and check out all of our great deals happening this week. Save big.